Well, it is uh, really good to see all of you and be with you today. Um, We are going to continue in the book of Romans, and I have to tell you that, you know, I spend a lot of of time during the week uh, preparing for sermons, as does Dawson. I think the number of hours that we put in would probably uh, surprise you. Uh, Lots of reading, lots of writing, and then back again, filtering it all down, and then rewriting, and this all has to happen within six days, and so there's an awful lot, uh, and I wrote a, a magnificent sermon for today, so one of those that uh, would just take your, take your breath away, uh, but something happened during the week that I hadn't expected, which was, uh, I believe, the Holy Spirit interrupting my life and saying that uh, for today I need to Uh, continue in the book of Romans, but not uh, use any sermon notes, but just speak to you from my heart. Because what we're going to read in a moment is like, it's like the children of Narnia going through the wardrobe into another world. It's like Alice in the looking glass and stepping through to another world. And uh, all I have here, I have a few quotes. I'm going to use those during my talk, but I, I just... Nothing, this is not a formal, although it will be, uh, as what I've done in the past. The Apostle Paul, in these next 14 verses, opens a door, a window, into a world that many of us struggle to understand. We want to know what is, why the world is the way it is. How come people are the way they are? Why is God the way He is? What's going on? Why, uh, it, it actually opens a door to all these existential questions that fill us with so much angst and fear and doubt and wonder about our own selves, who we are, why we're here, why things are as they are. So let's dive in. I hope you'll listen. And, um, and let's, let's hear what God is, is really saying through this wonderful apostle Paul. He knew what he was doing. And he threw the doors open wide and he invited the people in Rome to step through with him. And we have this privilege of stepping into this world uh, where he answers, raises a lot of questions, but he also answers some. So beginning... Uh, We're going to start with verse 18. We're going to read just these 14 verses. Um, Now hear the word of God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. 
Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their heart, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. The men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I mean, just reading that, I'm sure you understand why I'm, uh, my knees are actually tre- literally trembling because these verses open up a lot of questions, a lot of questions that people have about the nature of the world we live in. I mean, look around. Why is there so much evil? Why are people so cruel? Why is there so much natural evil? What... Uh, uh, I believe Dr. Walkie called it surd evils, a very fascinating subject and something that uh, you have to really get your head around. Why is there evil in the world? Why are there hurricanes and tornadoes? How did God really create the world? What is the nature of our human being? What does it mean to be a human uh, being? And so on. The Apostle Paul doesn't finish with his, I don't know if you want to call it a diatribe uh, or whatever he's doing. He does not finish this explanation of the wrath of God, why God is so angry for, some scholars think four chapters, three for sure, because at the end of chapter three, he says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then in chapter 4, he explains justification by faith and the life of his faithful servant, Abraham, all of which we are descendants. So in a lot of ways, folks, when you start reading the book of Romans, you're stepping through uh, into some very deep water. Not complicated, but it is deep water. And if it doesn't touch you at your soul, if it doesn't reach down into your soul, then you really need to come talk to Dawson or I because something is wrong. This kind of 
thing should bother you. The wrath of God should upset you. The people I worry about are the ones that come to me. It doesn't bother me, the wrath of God. I accept. I believe in providence. God's sovereign. We're chosen. We're elect. And they start throwing out all these doctrines. But they're not hearing the heart of the Apostle Paul, who is strenuously, with all the intellectual and spiritual might that he has, explaining some of the things that torment the human race the most. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. What is he so mad about? Why is wrath so odious to us? Why do we think, what's he so, you know, come on, wrath? Yes, wrath. Look back at verse 16 and 17. This is the theme of this entire book. And I went to great lengths last week to explain to you that the Apostle Paul leads this book with showing you the immensity, overwhelming, it should stagger us to see how much God loves his people. People that are wicked, people that are evil. He loves them and he moves into their world, our world of evil. He sends his son to come. The gospel of Jesus, I told you last week, is the announcement of the coming of the great king who will set everything to rights. He's going he's to reorder the universe and deal with the very things that Paul is talking about in 18 forward to at least the end of chapter 3. Look at those verses we read last week. I think Ella printed them in your bulletin. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. He's saying, look, look, there's a problem in this world. You cannot escape it. There's nothing you can do to escape it. And Paul is going to tell us why that problem exists. A lot of people say, well, you know, why did God create things this way? What makes you think that he created things this way? Why would you say that? Why would you assume that? But humanity says, oh, he created it this way. Why did he do it? How come there's evil? What did he do? You know, did God place evil in the world? Is he the one doing the murders, the killing? The raping? Is he the one that distorts everything around us? Or is it us? And if it's us, the next thing that goes out of our mind is, I'm not as bad as this guy or this guy. And I'm, you know, we start trying to measure ourselves by ourselves. You know, balancing, juggling the balls in the air to see if we can somehow pass muster. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone that believes. Salvation in the Bible is not merely uh, getting to go to heaven. That is the least of it. The bigger part is that He is moving in and saving us from everything that is wrong with the world. And above all, He is saving us from verse 18. The wrath of God, because he is indeed angry. For verse 17, look at it 
and then we'll move on. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. We, uh, I really want to plan to stay in this chapter, uh, just these 14 verses for the next few weeks. We're going to talk about a lot of very controversial things that are affecting our culture today and things that I think everyone in this room wrestles to understand. And then, once we've moved through that portal, the rest of the book of Romans will, will just come alive for you and for me. And you will see, perhaps for the first time, the glory of our Savior Jesus, the reality of what He really did. And I'll share a little bit with you at at the end because this is just burning in my soul today and I want to make sure you get it. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What is going on? Well, first of all, wrath is a word in Greek. It's actually the word orge. And orge uh, is where we get our word orgy. And it's not what he's talking about, but he's using a word that was understood in Greek to mean that an inflamed passions. God is not just merely a little bit mad. He's not upset. He's not miffed. He is white, hot, angry. And what is he angry at? Look at your Bible. He's angry of all the ungodliness and righteousness of men who, and men is, uh, uh, it's the word for humankind, not just men, men and women, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This word suppress is interesting. I remember uh, the time I was sitting in the a lecture with R.C. Sproul, and I watched him. He was very animated, and uh, R.C. S- s- explained the word karakain, which is this word suppress. Suppress in Greek, karakain, means that with all of your might, with all of your effort, with every shred of your strength, you are compressing and pushing down like a spring that is, that is wound up really tight. It's hard, but you're pushing it down and you're straining with everything in you to suppress the truth. About what? For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown to they're suppressing the truth the truth about what the truth about who the truth about god now you know people can claim ignorance they can say well you know i'm not sure uh if i believe all this stuff that you're saying chuck i mean really the wrath of god and you know I don't know if you all watch. Uh, do y'all, anybody here use the internet? You know, if you, if you use the internet or you get a news feed or you see some articles that pop up and down, you'll see some of the most horrific things in the world. You see things like, and I'm glad the kids are out of here, but you'll see, you'll see puppies being tortured to death. Does that make you mad? 
You see a puppy being tortured by some kid that, you know, he could care less. Or somebody doing some heinous act. I remember watching ISIS, the, the films ISIS was proud to cut people's heads off and, and to burn innocent people and to rape and to kill. What makes you mad? What really upsets you to the point that you're burning and white hot? And how come it's okay for you and not for God? When he witnessed the ravaging of a beautiful place and beautiful people and a beautiful creation that he made, it was ravaged, it was raped. And by the fourth chapter, third chapter, it starts in Genesis, fourth chapter, you start to see the downfall of man. There has been a digression of humanity. We think we're smarter than them. We're much dumber than they are much further from God than they are. I'm talking about humanity in general, not you here, you are another group that we'll talk about later, but think about humankind, what we have done to each other starting at the beginning till now. God didn't do that. He didn't create the world that way. We made it that way. And we continue to make, it's not at a, we're not being held accountable, listen to me folks, we're not being held accountable for Adam's sin. You will only be held accountable for your own. So you have to look in your heart. Where are we suppressing, pushing down the truth about who God is with all our might? And if you're upset or feeling a little anxious about the fact that he's filled with wrath, you're doing it. Because you don't understand. What if somebody came and took one of your children and while you were watching, did horrible things to them? And then they get away with it. How would you feel? They get away with it. Would that God be God worthy of worship? When he's talking about righteousness in the book of Romans, He's talking about that. What is right and what is wrong? And in this day and age, we listen, this is nothing new. He's talking about it 2,000 years ago, and he's often quoting the prophets and the Old Testament sages who are going further back. This is nothing new, the fact that humanity does this. We all do it. We find our pet thing, and we exclude it from God's judgment. And he says, don't do that. We say, we'll completely rearrange everything we understand and know in order to accommodate what? Our sin. We will strain ourselves pushing down the truth. But that's not all we do. Look at the, verb, look at the words. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have made. What he's talking about here, so that they, talking about humanity, are without excuse. Here's what he's talking about. The thing we call in theology, it's called general revelation. General revelation is that God has revealed in nature enough information that you will know two things. You will know that there is a God, there is a power that is 
strong enough to generate the universe and make it come from nothing. It may have come from a big bang. It may have come from compressed uh, material, some atomic material compressed in a big bang. That's a good, pretty good theory. Where'd that thing come from? And what made it go bang? God, by definition, is the first cause of everything else. But after that, there are second causes. According to Aristotle, first and second causes. And that's where we come in. Those second, those troubling and terrible second causes. His eternal power and His divine nature. Every human being that's ever been born in this world, Ron Nash used to tell us in school at, at RTS, that these things are innate. Every human being knows. They know that there's a God. They, know, they may not know much more about Him than they know about astrophysics. But they know enough They know enough that they should be thanking Him and worshiping Him. I mean, there's enough information for that. There isn't enough information in general revelation or in nature, as we say. There isn't enough out there for you to become a Christian. You can't be saved by general revelation. That's where special revelation comes. That's where your Bible comes in. That tells you the information you need to know in order to make a, a, a logical, reasonable decision not to be found under the wrath of God. Yeah, you see, see it, atheism, here, I'll read it to you. This is R.C. Sproul. In all ages there have been atheists and agnostics. There is a difference in attitude between atheists and agnostics. The atheist comes right out and says, there is no God. But the agnostic says simply, I don't know. I have insufficient information. The dreadful fear I have is that the agnostic adds insult to injury. He blames God for not producing enough evidence. Now, look, this is hard for me to say, but when we stand before God, there's going to be no excuse. There may be an excuse for you not coming to Jesus and becoming a Christian. Paul's not even talking about that yet. It's, that's a long way to come yet. What he's saying is that humankind, every one of us, we start somewhere and we can track. Unless you've got something wrong with your mind or there's some, you know, some disability that you have, normal, rational human beings know there's a God. We don't, may not know everything about Him, may not know all the particulars, but we know enough. Something, someone created this universe and he must, he, she, it, them, whatever, whatever, must be powerful enough and amazing enough that he created a sunset. 
a mountain, clouds, animals, a beautiful world, the ability to look at another human being and see beauty and wonder in that human being, the ability to to look back at at this and, and say, this does something to my soul. It lifts. There's more to me than just this flesh and blood. There's something there. I need to give thanks for that. And only human beings know that, folks. Only we know it. They suppress the truth. His invisible, look at verse 20, His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived. We have enough information. So they are without excuse. Those are, those are hard words, folks. I read that and I thought, man, I, I'm sick. I turned 67 years old a few days ago. I'm an old man. I know some of you are older than me and you get mad when I say that, but... You know, you remember what it was like, don't you, you you hundred-year-olds in here? For although they knew God... Now, here's, here's the second part of this horrific sin. This is why God is so mad. We're suppressing the truth. Now, listen carefully. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Here's the beginning of what we call in theology the noetic effect of sin. In other words, our thinking becomes distorted. We become delusional. In everything we look at and see, there's something bent. There's something wrong. We're looking through a glass and it's milky and it's white. It's not clear. And we strain to know. But all the time, remember, we got all our might over here holding down the uh, spring because if we let it go, it's going to pop up and oh my goodness, there He will be right there in the flesh stepping down into a filthy river to get baptized and carry your sins. You've got to push it down. We've got to push it down because He's there. And He's going to step into that water that all these filthy people had walked in and He is going to get covered with that water. We don't see it because we're busy. The human race is busy pushing with all their might down, down. No, I don't want to look at it. And God is going to say simply, you have no excuse. They became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Listen to this, verse 22. Claiming themselves to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity for the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Here it is. The reason He's mad. With all our might, folks, we are pushing and suppressing the truth. 
And that's not all we did. While we're doing that, with every shred of our strength and our being holding it down, we reach out with the other hand and we replace Him. We supplant Him. We change what we know to be true into a lie and we begin worshiping other things. For 18 years, I have rang the bell and cried out with all of my heart to those of you that have heard me even in the last few days, weeks. We talk about idolatry. It's not little statues, folks. Every one of you has an idol. I have idols. And all we have to do is get close enough to each other, know each other, and start scratching. It doesn't take much. And you will see wrath. And you think you deserve to have wrath. But God doesn't. He shouldn't be mad at what we do to each other and how we hate and are cruel and talk behind back. I mean, did you hear the list of things? My goodness. It's frightening. We're going to look at all those. It's a yikes. Karakain. We push it down. Metalasso. We, we exchange. We, take an, we, we don't change it. We exchange it. We don't morph God into something else. We just push Him off to the side altogether and put something in His place. The definition of idolatry that I've given you for years and you should write it somewhere in your Bible. An idol is anything that we put in the place of God where God belongs alone. It doesn't mean that you put Him in second place. It means that you bring stuff into His presence. Human kind has been doing this since they started drawing on the sides of Waco tanks. You can go out there and look at the petroglyphs, and they're very interesting. And you know, the, you, my son took us a few months ago and on a tour and and uh, uh, showed us the petroglyphs. He used to be a ranger at Waco tanks. He's a rock climber. He's showing us all and he's explaining it to us. This is prehistory. People were dealing with exactly this back then. The same stuff. Oh yeah, they've changed a little bit. Now we worship money and we worship our looks. And I mean, I mean, what's not to like? Therefore God gave them up. He abandoned them. He actually did the most, what, what some of you might say is loving. He did, the, he did a stroke of judgment that no one, even now, even at the end of days, nobody will, will, will get this stroke of judgment. This stroke of judgment, he gave them exactly what they wanted. He, he took his hands off and he said, you want it, you got it. And all of this happened before Genesis chapter 6 and the flood. He's talking about the primordial world, the world that, that, that our world was birthed from. And he gave them what they wanted. And so the book of Genesis says they followed every evil... Inc- 
Stop for a minute, folks. Stop thinking about how great and how good you are and just ask yourself the honest question. If there were no consequences whatsoever, if there was nothing to restrain you, what would you do? Now, I, I know what I would do. And I can't even speak those things in church. They're too awful. Do you understand? And if you're honest with yourself, you know if there's nothing restraining you, what would we do? And we look outside, we look into the world, and we see people doing things we don't understand. How can they be so bad? They just, they haven't read the first chapter of Romans. But you have. I've just read it to you. Between verse 17 and 18, there's a break. The Apostle Paul spent a lot of time in those first 17 verses showing us the grace and the glory and the goodness. Jesus, the gospel, he came to save. There's power to save you. You don't have to go down this road. You, 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 you human beings out there, there's an answer. There's help. There's special revelation. Revelates enough knowledge now that you can break every tie that that old world has with you and you can step into a new world with Jesus Christ, the gospel. He begs us in those 17 verses, to make that step. Listen, it's another quote from another scholar. Between 17 and 18, you, look, you can look in your body, you can see it, it's like a demarcation line. We see two things, one positive, one negative. The positive, the righteousness of God, should lead creation, God's creation, to a humble and obedient response. Verse 17, that's the positive. The positive revelations, the positive revelation in 1 through 17 sets the stage for, listen, a more daunting revelation in the next verse. Although the revelation of God, this should cut you to the heart, folks, what God has done for us. Although the revelation of God's righteousness ought to be sufficient to get people's attention, Paul provides additional motivation, the revelation of God's wrath. 118 and the following verses address the universal problem of God's wrath being revealed before coming back to address the power of the gospel in the life of the believer. That starts uh, in chapter 5, actually. So, having said all that, we're seeing in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about God's wrath. I will have notes and, a, and bullet points and you know all that stuff next week. But I hope that today, at least you understand that we deserve God's wrath. We've raped his children. We've polluted his beauty, his beauty and his world, humankind. We've done things in our minds. Jesus said, if you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery. You see, we already have this capacity. If you're angry with your brother, you've committed murder. How, I can't even begin to tell you how many people I've murdered. And some of you are here. 
What about greed? What about all these things? He said, envy, gossip, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Yikes, my parents are still here. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those that do them. We'll look at these all next week and the week after and more. So what's, what's behind all this? God's wrath. Well, let me just put it this way, and I think some of you probably already know what I'm going to say. There is God's wrath. There's not one thing that's unfair about God's wrath. It's deserved. But the person that drank the cup of God's wrath is the only one I know that didn't deserve it. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and great drops of blood poured out of his skin and he said my father if it is possible let this cup pass away pass from me yet not as I will but as you will Folks, if your salvation, if you're a Christian and your salvation means anything to you, if it, if it has any weight in your life whatsoever, any value, you better not give up the wrath of God because the reason that you're saved, the reason that you're even alive this moment is because our dear Jesus took that cup and he drained it to its dregs down to the filthy part underneath the, the grinds of the, of the grapes and all that nasty stuff that would sink to the bottom. He drank it all. The Old Testament is full of this imagery of the cup of God's wrath and occasionally he'll pour out a little bit of it because things get out of hand like the flood but it never, never, never was dealt with like this. Like this man who took that cup. We deserve it. He didn't deserve it. He takes it. He drinks it. Not my will, but your will be done. Then everything changes. Everything changes. Jesus Christ, He's the gospel for us. I hope, I hope you'll trust him and I hope you won't uh, uh, be too upset with me today <laughs> for not having a sermon uh, prepared. Let me share this last thing with you before we come to the table. I hope you'll trust our Lord. But last week I told you that Jerry Bridges talked about the difficulty. Now this is for Christians. We all have these sins in our life that are besetting what we, an old, old theologian said, they're besetting sins. I don't know what yours are. I know what mine are and a thousand more. I know them. And there are some that are so bad, I press them down. I don't even want to think about them or look at them. 
I even repress certain things. And I'm way better than all of you. (laughs) No, you know what I'm saying. We go to lengths to push down our sin. We fight with sins. In fact, he's going to talk about this later in chapter 7, chapter 6. Why we are plagued by ongoing sin. Things we don't understand. Are they nature? Are they nurture? What's going on? He talked about it a little bit in the, in the issues of homosexuality and gender and these things. Why is the gospel so precious? Here it is before we come to the table. Listen. Jerry Bridges said this. Even when we understand the acceptance with God based on Christ's work, we still naturally tend to drift back. There's a battle going on for your soul, folks. We tend to drift back to a performance mindset. That's why we're all here this morning. We want to ingratiate God. Now I know that you say, well, I, you know, I'm here because I really love Him. No, no, no. You felt guilty before you came in. Right? Although the revelation of God's righteousness, I'm sorry, consequently we must continually return to the gospel. To use an expression of the late Jack Miller, we must preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Folks, you have got, you're in a fight for your life. The battle has been won. But you're still fighting and we still struggle with sin. One of the reasons we do Holy Communion is so at least one day in seven we can be reminded that Jesus is for us, He died as us, that He now lives in us, and that He will work out His will through us if we will trust Him. And every other day of the week, including Sunday, we've got to remind ourselves of the Gospel of Jesus. Keep that preach it to yourself every day, every moment because we do fall. We do have the besetting sins that take over. We do have those moments when we're trying to redefine what is bad so that we can explain it away. And what you need is to preach the gospel to yourself every day.